Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. <clears throat> I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Marians of the Immaculate Conception here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge. It's live coming to you today. We still got some great people to come here, even though it's drizzly weather. Uh, thank you for joining us from around the world. You know, um, I'm actually, and if we could turn our, our cell phones down, please. Um, but I'm actually embarrassed to say that it's taking me, and I, I looked at this in disbelief that it's taking me almost 80 episodes of these Saturday morning talks to get to the Immaculate Conception. Mary, please <laughs> look past that mistake. I, I should have been doing this topic way, way earlier, especially because we're Marians of the Immaculate Conception. I have fitted into other talks, but today we are going to focus on this most important important topic, you know, um, and stay with us because at the very end, we have something really interesting to share with you uh, about Mary's Immaculate Conception and the founding of the New World, Christopher Columbus, America, things that I bet you didn't know. And we're going to show you a beautiful download free image that you can use for your computer or your um, cell phone. So, awesome. Uh, the Immaculate Conception image is beautiful. So let us begin with the prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to be sent down upon us. We give you thanks for the gift of your mother. You gave her to us from the cross and let us be like John and take her into our homes, the homes of our hearts. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you saw from the title that today's topic is the Immaculate Conception and how to answer all these questions that we as Catholics, for the most part, don't know how to answer. And when we don't know how to answer it, it, it first of all, it shakes our faith, and then it certainly makes us feel like, well, you know what, why am I Catholic? And it certainly reaffirms those who are questioning us of why they're not Catholic. And so we always talk about evangelizing and bringing people to Christ to know our faith. Then we can love our faith is the way to do that. All right. Now, <clears throat> I always talk about taking you back to seminary. I'm really taking you back to seminary right now. This is a course we call Mariology. Yes, that's an actual course in seminary. The study of Mary. Mariology. And one of the best instructors in the world is Mark Maravalli, right out of Steubenville, Franciscan University, where I went for my philosophy. And so a lot of this stuff is, is, is incredible, and we're going to share it with you today. I hope to break it down in an easy-to-understand way. Good stuff, but stuff that we don't really always understand. So let us give that a try. All right, now, when we talk about the Immaculate Conception, most of you know this, we're not talking about the virginal conception of Jesus. Uh, we are talking about the conception of Mary in the womb of Anne, the natural uh, act that Joachim and Anne uh, brought conception of Mary. And so we're not talking about the virginal conception of Jesus. That's not the Immaculate Conception like I thought when I was a kid. This is the conception of Mary. So let's look at our, our slide. Here's Joachim and Anne, a famous uh, mosaic of Joachim and Anne. It happened in the natural way. 
the natural conception of Mary with Jochaman in Jochaman Ann's beautiful marital covenant there, right? Now, let's get to the core of what, well, I'm going to start right off the bat here. Now, most people will argue the Bible says everybody sinned and are sinners. We're all sinners. And therefore, Mary sinned, right? Well, we have to look at the context here because we in the Immaculate Conception say that Mary was created without original sin. Now, if you say that's impossible, if you say that is not possible that any human being in human history, what about Adam and Eve? They were created without sin. So we have here, they didn't have any sin when they were created, so it is possible. Now, St. Paul calls Jesus the new Adam. So if, if St. Paul calls Jesus the new Adam, it makes sense that there should be a new Eve. Adam and Eve were inseparable. So if St. Paul calls Jesus the new Adam, why don't we call somebody else the new Eve? And there's no better person than Mary, right? All right, let's look at our next slide. All right, so let's talk about this example. Now, there is a woman without sin. Take a look at this picture here. There is a woman without sin. And an angel of, a, of light appears to her. Look at your screen. That's an angel. Lucifer. The angel of light. Lucifer means light. He was the angel of light. So you have this woman, undefiled, a virgin. And all of a sudden, an angel of light appears to her. But this angel of light is Lucifer. He speaks words to her and causes her to disbelieve, to disobey, basically to say no to God. All right? The effect of that disobedience, listen to this, is passed on to the man. And then to all the world. So you go from an angel, a fallen angel, Satan, to a woman, Eve, to a man, Adam, to the whole world. This disobedience, this sin. Notice the whole line there is broken. Satan, Eve, Adam, us. Notice that whole line has become broken. The effect of that disobedience is passed on to the whole world. This is what Father Mike Schmitz calls the fall team. <laughs> Remember the A team back in the 80s? This is the fall team. Satan, Eve, Adam, us. Then, Father Mike Schmidt says, there was the redeemed team. A team that also consisted of an angel. An angel of light. But this time it's Gabriel. An angel who didn't fall. Then that message is passed on to a woman. Guess what? A new Eve. This is Mary. Then this Mary passes it on through her womb to a new man, a new Adam. And then this Adam passes it on 
to the rest of the world. But what are we talking passing it? What is it? Not disobedience, not sin, redemption, obedience. So now we went from disobedience being passed around to the world to obedience through Gabriel, the right angel, Mary, the new Eve, Jesus, the new Adam, and then to us, a redeemed mankind. So we go from broken mankind to redeemed mankind through an angel, through a woman, and through a man. Do you just want to cut that woman out of the path? Do you want to just cut that woman out of the process? Do you want to just cut that new Eve out of the entire thing? That's what every single non-Catholic wants to do. This is why we're Catholic. Because the woman, as it says in Genesis 3.15, plays a role. This is a critical role. From the angel to the woman to the man to us. We're just going to cut out the woman? I don't think so. The woman makes sense. This is the redeemed team. Let's look at our next picture. There it is. There's the angel of light, Gabriel, appearing to also an undefiled virgin. But this time, she doesn't say no, she says yes. She obeys undoing Eve's disobedience. She says yes to God's message because she believes and trusts. Unlike Eve, who didn't believe and didn't trust. She then hands on this obedience to the man in her womb, and then he hands it on to the world. That's what Mary did to Jesus and Jesus did to the world. The man in her womb, as we said, is the new Adam. And he said yes to the father. Unlike Adam, Adam didn't say yes, but Jesus said yes to the father. Adam said no. So instead of like Adam who handed down death to the world, Jesus now hands on life. Both teams play a part in human history. Which team are you going to be on? You want to be on the fall team or the A team? The redeemed team. That's the whole message of the Immaculate Conception because in order for all of this to happen, it has to be without sin. The original Eve was was without sin. God gave that in her creation. So why wouldn't he not give that same thing in the new creation? You're going to make the new Eve less than the original Eve? The original Eve was created without sin. Why would the new Eve be created with sin? It makes no sense. And so this is our faith. If both on the fall team had a, it was without original sin, it makes sense that both Adam and Eve on the redeemed team would be without sin. And Father Mike Schmitz uses that term. I liked it. I picked it up. The fall team and the A team. Yes, God could have done this on his own, but he wills us to be part of it. He wills mankind to be part of our own cooperation. What is it, St. Augustine? God created us without us, but he will not redeem us without us. We have to cooperate. So that is who Mary is, just like Eve, a creature. But what was great about Mary wasn't her accomplishments. Mary didn't have to build new schools and new convents, although many have been done in her name. 
She simply surrendered and said, yes, it was trust. And that's the whole message of divine mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. She simply surrendered and said yes to God while Eve said no. It's about trust and obedience. You know, you'll never be asked to do more than Mary. And all Mary was asked to do was to trust and be obedient. That's it. You don't have to build, like I said, a new hospital. You don't have to build a new convent. If you trust in our obedience, in your day-to-day actual lives, say yes to God. You know, you've heard me say this before, but I love the example of Tertullian. And I always ask my seventh grade kids this. I want to repeat it. I always ask, who did Satan overthrow, the man or the woman? And all the boys say Satan overthrew the woman. And all the girls say Satan overthrew the man. Who did Satan overthrow, the man or the woman? Did Satan overthrow Adam or Eve? He overthrew both. He overthrew both the man and the woman. So Tertullian tells us if Satan overthrew both a man and a woman, it's going to take both a man and a woman to liberate humanity from Satan. Wow. It just makes so much sense. That's what our Catholic faith is. Mary just surrendered. You know, all Marian dogmas are about Jesus. This isn't about something great Mary did. God did it for Mary. He conceived her. She didn't do anything. She had no say in her conception. All Marian dogmas are about God, Jesus. Let's look at our next slide. God equips us for the task we are given. And what task was Mary given? To be the new Eve. So look at your screen there. We call Mary the new Eve as they did from the earliest centuries of early Christianity. Mary was the new Eve and mother of Jesus. Therefore, it's fitting that she be purified, that she be clean. If God asks us to honor our own mother, In the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. Don't you think that that means he would honor his mother too? And if Jesus honors his mother and his mother is Mary, then we need to honor her too. Think about it. God asks you to honor your father and mother. He says, honor your mother. If God asks us to honor our mother, why wouldn't Jesus honor his mother? Jesus did. So if Jesus honored his mother, who was his mother? Mary. And if Jesus honored Mary, so should we. It's very simple. Now, people will argue. I saw this all over the internet. The problem with the church is they invented all this stuff centuries later. When was the dogma of the Immaculate Conception declared? 1854. Now, non-Catholics look at that and they say, what a joke. You're inventing stuff after the fact. It took 1,800 years to come up with the, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception that proves it's not legitimate. No, it doesn't. You know, doctrine is mostly defined when it's disputed. Doctrine wasn't defined if everybody agreed to it because that's just an accepted belief. 
Everybody believed in the immaculate conception in the early church. There was no need to define it as dogma because everybody accepted it. It wasn't until the Protestant Reformation that it was even questioned. That's when the dogma was defined. So if anybody says to you that the Catholic Church didn't make it up to centuries later, you could say, well, it wasn't until centuries later that anybody disputed it. So these are the things we don't understand. So what happened on December the 8th, 1854, Pius IX, the Pope, published his papal bull, Ineffabilis Deus, which defined for all Catholics which we must believe the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, that she was full of grace. Let's read the Catechism on our next slide. The most blessed Virgin Mary was, from the first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and in virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, that's very important, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. The splendor of an entirely unique holiness by which Mary is enriched from the first instant of her conception comes wholly from Christ, not from her. Do you think she caused her own conception? Of course not. She is redeemed in a more excellent fashion by reason of the merits of her son. Hmm. Now, the Immaculate Conception means that from the first moment of her existence, Mary's soul was preserved from the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve. It is a preventative medicine. It still took a Savior. If it takes a Savior to clean you up and be forgiven of your sins after you get dirty, what do you think it takes to prevent you from falling into the mud pit in the first place? Also a savior. Mary needed a savior. Because just like we need a savior to clean us up after sin, Mary needed a savior to prevent her from getting dirty. So that means Jesus was Mary's savior. God saved her by preserving her in the first place. It says that this was done from the merits of Jesus. We just read it. As a result, she was full of grace. Right from the start. Now, why? God can apply graces to any person at any point in history. Well, wait a minute. Mary was conceived before Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. Yes, Jesus is outside of time. What about the people of the Old Testament? Moses was given grace because of Jesus Christ. Well, wait a minute. Jesus was lived much later than Moses. Because God is outside of time, he can apply his graces at any point in time to any human. By the merits of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what we don't often know about our faith. This, this is important. God poured out graces upon the patriarchs, upon the prophets of the Old Testament, even before Jesus. These graces came from Jesus, but they were applied even before because God's outside of time. He did this for Mary, but very uniquely, right from the first moment. I want you to read this. Uh, a Father Ferroni wrote in his book, Know and Defend What You Love. I love that title. Know and Defend What You Love. Here's what he said. 
an objection to the Immaculate Conception claims that Mary cannot be immaculate. Otherwise, she would not have been redeemed by Jesus. She didn't need a redeemer. She was already immaculate. What they don't understand is to get immaculate in the first place, you need a redeemer. This would detract, they say, from the universality of the redemption of Jesus, the only mediator between God and man, in whom alone there is salvation. Mary herself says, I need a savior in Luke 1, 47. Okay, he says, good point. But the answer, he says, the answer to that shows a fundamental misconception that to be full of grace, what the angel called Mary, full of grace, means an absence of redemption? No. He said that's a misconception. When you say full of grace, that doesn't mean that you are not in need of redemption. It means that redemption helps you to get to be full of grace. On the contrary, he says, it implies, it does imply redemption when the angel said full of grace. Doesn't mean Mary didn't need a savior. It means it implies redemption was needed because Mary's fullness of grace is the fruit of Jesus's redemption. Mary has been redeemed like us only in a special way, not by cure, but by prevention. A doctor can save our life by curing sickness after we're sick, but if he gives us medicine that keeps us from getting sick in the first place, he also saved us. Get that? So the doctor can save you after you're sick by helping to cure you, but if he gives you medicine to prevent you from getting sick in the first place, then he also saved you, right? Now, for instance, um, I, I guess you could say... Uh, the vaccine, Salk vaccine, uh, uh, cured me or saved me from polio because I never got polio. Now, that's a true vaccine. We're not talking about experimental biological agents here. Hmm. Topic of another talk. But a true vaccine can prevent you from getting sick in the first place. Again, talking true vaccine. That's some experimental biological agent. That vaccine is Mary's Immaculate Conception. We got cured after we got sick. Mary was preserved from before. Interesting. God often gives extraordinary graces to those whom he trusts, entrusts with extraordinary responsibilities. Who could be given ever a more extraordinary responsibility than Mary being the mother of Jesus? The only reason she's the only one immaculately conceived is she was the only one given that responsibility. As much as I love all of you, None of you were the mother of Jesus. Only Mary. Mary was given the special grace of an immaculate origin to prepare her for the most special vocation in history. Mother of God. Mother of Jesus. So she should get a unique grace. She had a unique vocation. Very important. Remember, Mary gave Jesus his human nature. So if Jesus got his human nature from Mary and Mary had original sin, that would mean Mary had a broken human nature and that would mean Mary passed on a broken human nature to Jesus. Impossible. Jesus cannot accept a broken human nature. So if Mary had a broken human nature, 
She would have passed on that broken human nature to Jesus. Uh uh. Let's watch a quick video. It's only two minutes long, but it's going to tell you a little bit more about the Immaculate Conception. On December 8th, Catholics all over the world celebrate Mary's Immaculate Conception. Some people confuse this feast with the virginal conception of Jesus in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Immaculate, or perfectly clean, conception is when Mary was conceived free from original sin by her parents, Saints Anne and Joachim. In order to give birth to our Lord, Mary needed to be totally pure because God would dwell within her. Mary's sinlessness does not mean that she did not need to be redeemed by her son. As Blessed John Duns Scotus points out, Mary was saved in advance at the moment she was conceived through the divine privilege of being preserved from original sin. God basically took the power of Jesus' sacrifice and applied it to a moment in time that occurred before Calvary. He can do that because, well, he's God. St. Teresa of Avila compared this special act of redemption to that of preventing someone from falling into a pit versus pulling them out after they've already fallen in. Either way, it requires a savior. We might also compare the Immaculate Conception to a vaccine, although the analogy isn't perfect. It's much better to get the flu shot and be prevented from getting sick in the first place than to get the flu and have to take medicine to get better afterwards. God prevented Mary from original sin in the first place because we cannot be saved or do anything pleasing in God's sight without grace. Mary needed to be a pure vessel to carry Christ, and she needed the grace to respond to the will of God since she had the most important task of being, well, his mother. The feast day emphasizes that we can do nothing to earn grace. It is generously given by God to all of us to fulfill his will. Okay, so that is a very good clip. Uh, but as you saw in the video, I can want to be pointing out on the vaccine, true vaccines, again, not experimental biological agents. Now, here's what's important. By original sin, we mean something negative, a lack of something. It is a deprivation of supernatural grace, which Adam and Eve had when they were created. So what does original sin mean? A lack of that, a lack of that grace. But here's the thing. The angel said, hail, full of grace. The angel didn't say, hail, lack of grace. When the angel said, full of grace, that meant Mary lacks nothing, and original sin, by definition, means lacking grace. So if Mary is full of grace, there's no way the angel could say, lack of grace. The angel said, you are full of grace. So speaking of that, let's go to the Bible now. Because people are going to say, where is that in the Bible? <clears throat> Here we go. <clears throat> now, there are two passages. There's others, like Revelation and the 12 stars and the, and the woman in the sky, the new ark. Of the Covenant. I, could, I could spend a whole talk on just the biblical passage. We're going to focus on two. All right. 
two passages in the Bible where we can find the seeds of this doctrine, the Immaculate Conception. All right, first, the biggie, Genesis 3.15. Why? Because after the fall of Adam and Eve, the Lord says to the serpent who tempted them, I will put enmity. This is key. E-N-M-I-T-Y. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, this Old Testament passage, Genesis 3.15, is a prophecy for the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. That's the devil. So the one who does this can only be Jesus. So it follows that the woman whose seed would crush the head of Satan is the woman prophesied in Genesis 3.15 has to be Mary. It could be nobody else because who's the savior who crushes Satan? Jesus. Who's his mother? Mary. She has to be the woman from whom that seed came. So it follows that the woman prophesied must be Mary called here the woman. That's why it cracks me up when non-Catholics read Cana and they say, look how disrespectful Jesus was to Mary. Woman, what does this have to do with me? He didn't mean that disrespectfully. He made that connection to the new Eve. Woman calling her woman at Cana related directly back to her of the woman of Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3, both Jesus and Mary are said to be in a state of enmity. Now, here's the key. Enmity against the serpent, which in the Hebrew means complete and radical opposition to. So in other words, Jesus and Mary are in enmity or complete and radical opposition to Satan. Why is this important? Well, Father, we knew that. Okay, did you? Think about this for a minute. It is for this reason that it's not possible that God allowed Mary to have original sin. To inherit the condition of original sin from Adam and Eve. Why? Because any participation of Mary, even the slightest in the disorder and the corruption of Adam and Eve that the soul inherits would place the mother of Jesus or the woman of 315 partially under the sway of Satan. Whoa. If 315 of Genesis tells us that the woman and her seed will have complete enmity, that means that Satan cannot have even the sliver of control over them. But if Mary was born with sin, that would mean Satan had some control over her. Then you violate the Bible. So you ask your non-Catholic friends when they question you, say, do you want to violate the Bible? Do you want to go against the Bible? Because the Bible in Genesis 3.15 says both the woman and the seed had radical opposition to Satan. Enmity. That means if Mary had any sin whatsoever, even original sin, she would not have complete enmity. She would be under the sway of Satan even just a little bit, but that's not complete enmity. So the Bible tells us right there. 
And this isn't me speaking. This, is, this has been taught by the church for centuries. This is why we're Catholic. All right? This would contradict what was said in Genesis 3.15 if Mary had sin. All right, the other passage, the second passage is Luke 1.28. Gabriel came to Mary at the Annunciation, as we said, and said, Hail, full of grace, not lacking in grace. In the original Greek, which the New Testament was written in, the phrase full of grace uses the word kacharitomine. That is very important because that full of grace is used here as a title for Mary. And she is the only one ever addressed in this fashion in the Bible. Nobody else. It must mean there's something special about her. Now, some model, mo, uh, modern versions of the Bible use the word, Hail, O favored one. They changed it. That's not the original Greek. Hail, O favored one is inadequate. It's an inadequate translation of the original Greek. And many people will say, it doesn't say hail, full of grace. You Catholics don't know what your Bible says. It says hail, favored one. In your mistranslation, it does. Read the original Greek. The original Greek from the beginning says hail, full of grace. Now, to say hail, O favored one, is not accurate. Because that kacharitomine is the Greek word, has a root called charis, which is translated into English as grace. So if you say, hail, O favored one, you don't have the word grace. The very Greek word charis in the Greek word used means grace. So the English word favor, on the other hand, only refers to some kind of external gift. Here's the point. God's highest favors are grace, not some cow or, or some new house. Not an external gift. God's highest favors are grace. So if God's going to give the highest favor of his son, he's not going to give anything but grace. And the Greek word used in the New Testament is grace. So it's hail full of grace, not hail, O favored one. That was changed 1,600 years later. But we don't know that. We don't know our faith. Some argue that by using this word, kacharitomene, the angel only meant that Mary was being graced in the sense that, that at that very moment she was called to be the mother of God. Okay, now I got you, Father. Okay, I'll give you grace. I'll see your favor and I'll raise you grace. Got you now. Because she was just given the grace at that moment to be the mother. So she had no grace before that. God picked her and now she's given the grace to be the mother. So yeah, I'll give it to you, Father. It could say the word grace, but it still doesn't mean she was conceived without sin. Doesn't mean she was immaculate. She basically meant that Mary was being given grace at that moment to be the mother of God. Okay. Hmm. Gabriel, I, you know, this is why I'm so happy to take you all back to seminary with me. Because as I'm sitting in seminary class, I had so many scripture classes. 
And I'm sitting there in class. I'm looking around at all these other seminarians. I'm like, don't you just want to jump up and down? Don't you just want to shout on the rooftops to every Catholic in the world that this is what we don't know? And this is what we have to learn to know our faith, to love our faith? Here's the answer. Gabriel goes on to say in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have already found favor with God. In other words, the grace isn't happening just at that moment. This implies that she had already been graced in a special way to get to this point. You have already found favor with God. Don't be afraid. It is on that basis alone, on the basis of that earlier divine gift of grace, that she was now being called by God to be the mother of his son. So the grace wasn't just in that instance. The grace had been from before. You've already found favor with God. This means that she was being called by God to her special vocation, but she was being called because she was already graced. Man, why don't we know this in our Catholic faith? I didn't know this. I'm not blaming anybody. I didn't know this till I was sitting in seminary. And I'm sitting there thinking, do I have to actually become a priest to learn this? Every Catholic should learn this. Then we could love our faith. And the angel speaks of a gift that Mary already received, even before the angel came to her. Same thing with John the Baptist. You know that John the Baptist was sanctified by the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. I don't believe that, Father. That's Luke 1.15. It is likely that Mary would receive a lesser grace than John? No way. If John was sanctified in the womb, and it tells us that in the Bible, it is likely that Mary would have received less? Impossible. She would have received more grace to prepare for her role as the mother of the Savior than John did to simply baptize. Incredible. Now, I'm not making this up. All the church fathers, all the early centuries of the church taught this. Let's look at our next slide. All right. Many early church fathers such as St. Irenaeus, St. Justin Martyr, St. Ambrose, St. Jerome, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, St. Ephraim, St. Peter Chrysogonus, all of them, I can go on and on, taught that Jesus is called by St. Paul, the new Adam, the head of the new redeemed humanity. So therefore, they say, the Blessed Virgin Mary must be the new Eve. See it on your screen. There's a beautiful painting of Jesus and Mary, the new Adam, the new Eve. All right. There was no disagreement on this in the early church. This is why the doctrine didn't need to be defined. It wasn't until centuries later in the Protestant Reformation that any of this was ever questioned. That's when the church defined it. Oh, well, the church is just creating this centuries later. Yeah, because it wasn't until centuries later that anybody disagreed with it. As Eve, the mother of all the living, had ushered in the age of sin. We're talking the original Eve here now. So just as Eve, the mother of the living, that's what Eve means, had ushered in the age of sin by succumbing to temptation, right? And the fallen angel, the serpent. So now Mary, the mother of the redeemed, 
So Eve is the mother of the living. Everybody's living. Mary's the mother of the redeemed. She reversed Eve's sin by her obedience to the angel. And thereby ushered in the dawn of salvation. Hmm. Eve was given the same start as Mary, a state of innocence and grace before she began her life because she was the vocation of mother of all the living. So she was given that grace, having no wound or corruption in her soul of original sin. There was nothing, but then she fell. So if God's going to undo this, can we imagine that the Blessed Virgin Mary, whose vocation was greater than Eve, the original Eve, but to be the mother of the Redeemer and all the redeemed, would receive a less grace than the original Eve? If the original Eve was created immaculate, why would we expect Mary, the mother of the Son of God and all the redeemed, to be given less than that? Again, we're talking the mother, not you and me. You and me are not the mother of all humanity like the original Eve, and we're certainly not the mother of Jesus like Mary, our Mary. So we're talking about two special people here. But why should our Mary get less, the new Eve get less than the original Eve? If anything, she should get more. Wow. Let's look at Cardinal Newman said. Let's go to our next slide. Cardinal Newman once wrote that would Mary, you know, he said basically, would Mary not have at least the same grace of Eve? No, it would actually be more. What did he say? Let's read your screen. If Eve was raised above human nature by that indwelling moral gift we call grace, this is the original Eve now, is it rash to say that our Mary wouldn't have a greater grace? And this consideration gives significance to the angel's salutation to her as full of grace. And if the original Eve had this supernatural inward gift given to her from the first moment of her personal existence, is it possible to deny that Mary also had this gift from the very first moment of her existence? This is simply and literally the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Fascinating. From the earliest centuries, Christians hailed the Virgin Mary as the All-Holy One, the one without even the slightest stain, and the one blessed beyond all others. Way before the Reformation. Hmm. How could Mary carry the God-man in her if her soul lacked anything. An original sin means a lack of grace. So how could Mary carry the Godman in her soul if she lacked a complete outpouring of the Holy Spirit and sanctifying grace? She couldn't have. And thereby carried in her soul disorder and corruption. There's no way God can't coexist with sin. If Mary had sin running through her DNA, this is the fact that Jesus shares Mary's DNA. Jesus is in her womb. God can't coexist with sin. If there was any sin in Mary, God could not coexist there. He has to be in the purest of all vessels. God can't coexist with sin. If Mary was a vessel of sin... God couldn't be in it. And
and even non-Catholics agree, God was in that vessel. Wow. In the teachings of the early fathers and the early liturgies, the doctrine of Mary's fullness of grace, the Immaculate Conception, was present way before the Reformation. All right. But many non-Catholics will object. Some evangelicals object to this doctrine of the Immaculate Conception on the grounds that the Scripture teaches that there is a fallenness of humanity, universal fallenness. Everybody is fallen. All right, let's read this. There is no one righteous. That's Psalm 14. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. I'm sure these are the Bible passages that will be sent to me by non-Catholics. But please, don't isolate Scripture and separate it from the full context. I always invite people to write me, but when you send an isolated biblical passage and you separate it from the entire context, it changes meaning. Through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, Romans 5, 18. All right, you see the point? But here's the point. The Bible often uses broad language, even hyperbole, to make a point. For example, when the Bible says all have sinned or all we like sheep have gone astray, does it include little children? A little two-year-old child who dies of leukemia. Did that little child, was that a sheep who went astray? It says in the Bible, all are sheep who have gone astray. Well, wait a minute. What about a little two-year-old child who died? Who have never committed, it's impossible for him to commit any sin. He's not, he doesn't even have human reason yet. It's not till seven years old that we teach that there's even human reason. How, how, how is a little two-year-old child that dies a sheep that went astray? Can you please list their sins for me? Well, they cried. No. When the Bible says, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 22. That's not, that, that, we can't take that literally because not everyone will live. Souls will be condemned to hell. Souls will choose hell and will not be made alive by Christ in the glory of heaven in union with the Father. So the Bible says right there, in Christ, all will be made alive to share in the union of God. No, some will choose not to. So we have to be careful when we use these examples from the Bible because we have to understand the context. It does not mean to tell us that the whole human race will be saved well, wait a minute, it says all. We know for a fact, Jesus says that there are souls that are wailing and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus himself says not all will be saved. All have been redeemed. And you know, this is the whole point, is this doctrine of immaculate conception is really divine mercy. You know, non-Catholics will tell us that we're wrong 
because they said, you can't earn God's grace. Mary did not earn the immaculate conception. How did she earn her own conception? She couldn't. We believe that grace is a gift of God. Well, you Catholics, you're wrong because you think you have to earn, earn it. No, we don't. We, we, we admit grace is a gift. What is divine mercy? Divine mercy isn't something I earn. Praise be to God, it's something that I'm given despite myself. I don't earn God's mercy. It's a gift given to me, overabundant, undeserved, and unconditional. It's God's undeserved and unconditional divine grace given for our misery. What do we call this? Look at our next slide. Prevenient grace. You ever hear the term? We learned it in seminary. That's why I'm sharing it with you now. When I got to seminary, I'm like, what's prevenient grace? Never heard of it. It's grace that comes before we ask for it. <laughs> Even non-Catholics believe this. So if non-Catholics believe, if Calvin and Luther believed in prevenient grace, grace that God gives you before you even ask for it, why is it so hard to believe that Mary couldn't be given this grace without even asking for it? Theologians call this a form of divine mercy, this prevenient grace. It comes from the Latin prevenir, which means come before. Even before we ask for it, apart from the fact that we do not deserve it, and have not earned it in the least, God takes the initiative and gives us grace. Prevenient grace is the complete free gift of God's mercy, like a child gets your full gift of love. Did that little crying two-year-old baby that just filled his diaper, kept you up all night, refused to eat what you fed him, and threw his toys all over the floor, did he earn your love? <laughs> No way, but you still love him. And you still give him your love. That's what God does for us. Catholics teach this. So it always makes me shake my head when people accuse us Catholics of saying, we have to earn our grace. No, works, we have to cooperate, yeah. A child is loved by his parents not because the child has earned it or even asked for it in any way. No way. Rather, the parent's love comes from the start. From the very beginning, the child was conceived. Soon as we find we're pregnant. And I, I don't like that term, we're pregnant. The beautiful gift of the mother is pregnant through the cooperation of the father. <laughs> okay, now, it's a complete free gift. Just because who the child is, he was conceived in love. So they shower that love. That is human miser uh, mercy, human mercy par excellence. And it's a mere image of divine mercy because this is what God does for us. So when you think about it, that's exactly what is on display in the Immaculate Conception. This is what the Immaculate Conception is all about. Is anything I've said so far not true? Everything we've said so far is true. The Immaculate Conception is really the manifestation of God's prevenient grace, his unmerited mercy. After all, Mary didn't merit it. She didn't earn her Immaculate Conception, nor did she ask for it. It was done solely by the grace of God and the merits of his son. Passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so is all the grace we get. 
Why do you know there's grace in the confessional, Father? Because the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you know there's grace in the Eucharist, Father? Because of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can even say that the Immaculate Conception was the great divine act of grace that laid the foundation for God's whole work of salvation. Salvation actually began with the Immaculate Conception. That was the beginning of God's foundation of the work of salvation. And in the fullness of time, this special grace enabled Mary to receive our Savior into the world. Without it, we couldn't receive the Savior. Because if you have a dirty vessel, sorry, but the God-man can't come. Jesus even told St. Faustina, if there's anything else in your soul, I can't come. If your soul is filled with worship of something else, sex, money, power, another person, yourself, Christ said, Jesus said in 1689 of the diary, I think it's 1689, I'm going to go off the uh, memory of my head here. 1689 of the diary, if I remember correctly, says this. Listen to this. 1689 in the diary. Um, I am planted. Recognize this. Not my own strength. Power came from above. These two pillars. Okay. Upon the pillars, I saw hand finishing multiple people. Wait a minute. Maybe it was 1683. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to do too much time here. Okay. Okay. Here it is. 1683. My mistake. All right. Jesus says, I cannot, he says here, he says, um, the soul that does not even, after some time, inner emptiness, if I would come to me, it would humble everything in their soul without knowledge. Um, ah, my goodness, I'm sorry. The bottom line is, in one of these passages, Jesus makes it clear. Oh, here it is. No, I was, I'm sorry, I was right. Right for the benefit of the religious souls that it delights me to come into their hearts in Holy Communion. But if there is anyone else in such a heart, I cannot bear it and quickly leave that heart, taking with me all the gifts and graces that I have prepared for that soul. Don't be that soul. So that's the point here. That's the point that we are making. The fact is that God comes into this soul. The fullness of time, this special grace enabled her to prepare. Jesus could not have come into the womb of Mary if it was filled with anything else, if it had any sin especially. So that's why Jesus can't come into a heart if it's filled with anything, especially that, that fillness is junk, sin. There's no way Jesus could come in to that vessel of Mary if it was filled with sin. In short, the whole world's salvation began with one foundational act of unmerited, unprompted, and freely given divine mercy, the Immaculate Conception. The act of mercy par excellence. God's greatest act of mercy ever bestowed on a creature, the Immaculate Conception. This is why we Catholics, next slide, if Brother Mark can put up, celebrate this great feast day. Every December 8th. Why do we celebrate December 8th? Because Mary's birthday has traditionally been September the 8th. 
So if Mary's birthday has traditionally been September the 8th, that makes her conception nine months earlier, December the 8th. As we said, all are called to honor our mother and father according to the Ten Commandments. The Son of God honored his earthly mother by pouring his graces into her heart from the start. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to follow him in everything. So let us too honor who he honored, his mother, by celebrating God's special gift, the Immaculate Conception. After all, it was given to her, not just for herself, but for the good of all of us. It's our gift. For by this special grace, Mary brought into the world our Savior for our salvation. So Mary's Immaculate Conception is thus the greatest act of mercy. All right, getting close here. <clears throat> now, there's a connection between divine mercy and the Immaculate Conception. Why do you think we Marian fathers of the Immaculate Conception of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, that's our official title. We always call ourselves Marians or Marian fathers. Our official title is the Marian fathers of the Immaculate Conception of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of Mercy province. <laughs> Wait a minute, Father. You sound like you're all about Mary. You're not about divine mercy. They're connected. Let's show our next slide. This is our, this is our crest. Notice our crest. Our crest has the immaculate conception. Mary there. Pure. That's why we Marians were given the task of being caretakers of divine mercy. Why not the fathers of mercy? Why was it given to the Marians of the Immaculate Conception? Because as Father Seraphim says, God wanted the message of mercy to be under the mantle of Mary. It makes perfect sense why we, a ragtag group of, of guys, ended up giving this. You know, we, there was a documentary out that Brother Mark and I saw part of. It was about the American Revolution. I mean, what these guys went through I'm not sure there's any of us alive today that could go what those guys went through without any clothes at Valley Forge, feet being eaten by frostbite, all because they were fighting for freedom. And we're just throwing our freedom away. And it said the, the most powerful fighting force in the world, the British, came onto our shores. And what the Americans did is they became a ragtag group of guerrilla warfare guys that, 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 that found they had to fight a different way. They were just this ragtag group of guys, just outnumbered tremendously. That's who our Marian fathers are. We're just a ragtag group. We're outnumbered tremendously by the Jesuits and by the Franciscans. But I'll tell you, God bless them. But when you look at some of the teachings, it's like, have you lost your way here? That's why I think God has given this message to the Marians. Yeah, we've got tons of problems here. We've got all kinds of issues. But you'll never hear a Marian priest get into this pulpit and teach that abortion should be allowed, marriage should be redefined, or religious liberty should be stripped away. You will never hear a Marian priest say that. And I think that's why God chose us as a ragtag group, just like the American Revolution, to fight this battle. And all of you are with us. The reason you're here right now in this shrine or on this YouTube channel or this Facebook page is because God is saying, join in the battle. As the bells toll. <laughs> they always toll at the perfect time. You know, John Paul II told us Marians 
to be apostles of divine mercy under the loving and maternal guidance of Mary. St. Faustina, the great apostle of divine mercy, had a special devotion to the Immaculate Conception. In diary 1412 and 1413, she said, I prepared for the feast of the Immaculate Conception. I'm reading the words of Faustina now. Not only by means of the novena, but I also made a personal effort to salute her. Get a load of this. Only St. Faustina. This is amazing. St. Faustina says, I made a personal effort to salute her a thousand times each day. (laughs) Saying a thousand Hail Marys for nine days in her praise. And we complain about a rosary. St. Faustina saluted Our Lady a thousand times for nine consecutive days. Although I must admit that such a matter requires a good deal of attention and effort. (laughs) Nothing is too much when it comes to honoring the Immaculate Virgin. Let's take a lesson from St. Faustina. You know, today, December the 11th, is the 351st anniversary of the ablatio of our founder, St. Stanislaus. The Marian devotion of him, of St. Stanislaus, focused on the Immaculate Conception, hence our name. This was some two centuries before the official dogma would be declared by the church. Let's take our next, at our next slide. This is St. Stanislaus. This is our founder. We were the first men's community in the world to bear the title of the Immaculate Conception. That is why I believe we were given the grace to be the caretakers of divine mercy. Because we were the first men's community in the world to bear the title of the Immaculate Conception. They are, they are integrally connected. They cannot be separated. Wow. You know, others believe this. Not just Catholics. What? Way before the dogma was declared. Early Christians all believe this. They all defined Mary as immaculately conceived. Remember, we don't define the dogma sometimes until after it's disputed. Back in the early church, none of this was disputed. Even Martin Luther. Let's put this one. I'll hold this one up there. I have Brother Mark So You can take a picture of this screen when somebody rips on your Catholic faith about Mary being without sin. Let's read the words of none other than Martin Luther. And this is a brand new quote. I've given quotes of Martin Luther before. I've never given this one. Even Martin Luther taught the Immaculate Conception. All right. Now, what does he say? It is a sweet and pious belief. This is Martin Luther. It is a sweet and pious belief that the infusion of Mary's soul was effected without original sin. So that in the very infusion of her soul, she was also purified from original sin and adorned with God's gifts, receiving a pure soul infused by God. Thus, from the first moment she began to live her conception... She was free from all sin. Don't believe me? Martin Luther, sermon on the day of the conception of the mother of God, 1527. We need to know this. 
Because the Protestant Reformation did not teach that Mary should be thrown in the gutter. It's become that way. So we have to understand the truth. The dogma received a dramatic ratification from heaven at Lord's when Mary came and said, just four years later, I am the Immaculate Conception. I'm going to do a whole other talk on Lord's. I wanted to do it here, but I can't. I don't have time. So what does this dogma mean? Let's finish up now with some really interesting stuff. Because of the fall, now when we are conceived, when a human soul is created at conception, it lacks the indwelling of the Holy Trinity and sanctifying grace. This isn't me making this up, Father. How dare you say my child doesn't have that? Well, if your child's not baptized, I'm sorry. Child doesn't have it. This is why we need children baptized as soon as possible. You want the indwelling of grace and the Trinity in their soul, no matter how old they are. Child doesn't choose what family they're born into. You don't say, well, gee, I'm going to let Junior become 18 years old and choose if he wants to be part of our family. No. Junior is a part of your family since day one. Since he was conceived. And when you have your child baptized, you bring them into the family of God. One of the biggest tragedies that I think is the biggest reason for our problems in the world today is we've, we, we're not baptizing our children. Can't believe how we've lost that. And so, <clears throat> now because of the fall, we lack this indwelling of sanctifying grace, faith, hope, and charity. It's restored at baptism. It's washed away, the sin. But we are wounded. We have disordered passions. We have what's called concupiscence. What is concupiscence? Concupiscence is our tendency to want to sin. Lust and gluttony and sloth. We have a tendency. That's a lot funner than pure chastity, hard work, you know, and, 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 and fasting. And so we don't get this sometimes, but we have this concupiscence. This is a darkening of our intellect. Why do you think the world is so crazy today? When you watch the news, you say, how could anybody believe this stuff? How could anybody believe that a boy can say he's a girl? But the whole world is saying this today. It's because our intellects are darkened. And the more people that we have that aren't baptized, the more our intellects in the world are darkened. And we fall into this. This is a huge problem. This concupiscence, darkening our intellect, weakening our will, draws us into sin. It inclines us to sin. Last page. There is a remedy. There is a remedy, however. As I started to say, baptism. We are washed clean of all stain of original sin. And then in confession... We are forgiven any sins that we've committed since baptism. Baptism, communion, and the Eucharist. That's your triple trifecta. That's how it works for ordinary human beings. But Mary is no ordinary human being. Her conception was extraordinary. Let's look at our next slide. This is the role she was created for, to be the mother of God. Mary was preserved from all stain of original sin, including concupiscence. People always say, did Mary have concupiscence? No. 
She did not have a disordered tendency to sin, but she had free will. She could have said no to God. Grace was fully present in her at conception. She lacked none. That's why, again, the angel said, full of grace. So further, Mary never sinned throughout her life on earth, just like John the Baptist or St. Joseph. Do you know that's our tradition? The St. Joseph and St. John the Baptist, they were conceived with sin, but they never committed sin. They were conceived with it. So they had sin, but they were cleansed in the, in the wombs. Now Mary had free will, just as Adam and Eve did. And she was immaculate, sinless, just as Adam and Eve did. She is sinless only through, though, the grace given to her by God and her Savior, Jesus Christ. When we are forgiven of our sins, we are cleaned. She was preserved. Where we are forgiven, she is preserved. Both are a work of God. Both need a Savior. You know, on that, I want to mention this real quick, but in that video, if you saw it, maybe some of you here didn't. If you have a small child running along a path and they trip over a rock and fall into a mud puddle, the father will run to that child, pick them up, brush them off, wash their clothes, clean them up, give them a bath, and they're on their way. They got dirty, but they got cleaned up. That's like you and me in the confessional. We get dirty, we get a spiritual bath. This is us. We have fallen into sin. The Father forgives us, washes us clean in the precious blood. Now imagine, though, another child running down that path. The Father sees the rock ahead of the child and pulls the rock off of the path. The child runs by, never falls down into the mud puddle. The child never trips and falls. That is what God did for Mary. Both are an act of God. This is Mary's situation. The father applied the merits of the precious blood of Jesus at her conception, preserving her so that she could fill this task to be free to be that mother of God. It was fitting for Jesus, the son of God, savior of the world, to be born of a spotless virgin. Why? Because the Old Testament tells us. Isaiah tells us. One of the complete enmity between the devil, where sin would never find a home. So Mary, in her immaculate conception, is a constant sign of pure purity and joy, hope and joy. She demonstrates, though, that it's possible to be a great saint. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Our goal is to be like Mary, to live immaculate lives of love and conform our will to God's will. I always say, if you could make your own mother perfect, wouldn't you? Who would say, if I could make my mother, I would like to make her a great sinner. Didn't that just crush your heart? When you learned something about your parents, when you thought they were perfect, you know, when you're a little kid, Right? You think your mom and dad are perfect? And then you find out something? It's like, whoa. So if any of you could create your own mother, you wouldn't create her with sin. God was the only one who had the power to create his own mother. And he did not make her with sin. Non-Catholics say this dogma cannot be true because if Mary were without sin, she would be equal to God. Well, wait a minute, not true. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and the angels without sin. Were they equal to God? No. All right, so I want to finish here 
with just a couple of minutes of something that I find extremely interesting. The founding of the new world. This is fascinating. Brother Mark read and did a lot of research on this, and so he helped me. Chris Sparks uh, helped me and uh, learning some details, and Brother Mark really did some great research on this, and I, I handpicked a few things that I think are fascinating. Let's look at this. Number one guy on the cancel culture list today, Christopher Columbus. Let's look at this. You know where Christopher Columbus landed? It was not in the United States. He landed in the Bahamas. And he landed at a place called San Salvador. What does San Salvador mean? Holy Savior. It's now the capital of El Salvador, which means the Savior. He landed there in 1492. Now, you may know this, but let's look at our next slide. Here's the picture of Christopher Columbus. He sailed in three ships. You all remember from your childhood, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. But did anybody ever tell you what those mean? The word Nina means the girl. Pinta means the paint. And Santa Maria means Mary. And his boat was actually called the Santa Maria of the Immaculate Conception. Now, what's interesting, think about this. Nina, Pinta, Santa Maria, the girl, the paint, and Mary. That is Guadalupe. Mary, the girl, was painted for the new world just 30 years later. Nina, the girl, Pinta, the paint, Santa Maria, Mary, and it was Santa Maria of the Immaculate Conception. Now, let's look at our next slide because the appearance to Juan Diego... Do you know when Juan Diego appeared at Guadalupe? Yeah, Father, December the 9th. Ah, do you know when the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of Mary used to be in Spain? The 9th. December the 9th. Mary appeared in Guadalupe of Mexico on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception in Spain. And this was where the Spaniards were in Mexico, so it made sense to them. On his second voyage back, Christopher Columbus named an island Santa Maria de Guadalupe. And I said 30 years. Sorry, it was 40 years later she would appear. That's still just a blip. At that time, they celebrated the first mass in the New World at a point called Point Conception in Haiti. <laughs> amazing how Mary's Immaculate Conception is all over the New World. The first Mass ever celebrated and the New World was in Haiti at a place called Point Conception. The structure that was there became the very first church in all of the New World. One of the first Catholic churches in what is now the United States our continental United States, is dedicated to the Immaculate Conception and was in 1584. I was just there a couple years ago, the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Jacksonville, Florida. Let's take a look at our next slide. This is Archbishop John Carroll, the first bishop in the United States. He had a great devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and in 1792, he placed the Diocese of Baltimore and the 13 colonies under her protection. And then finally, on May 13th, notice the date, May 13th, 1846, the U.S. bishops 
officially made Mary the patroness of the United States. But not just Mary, the Immaculate Conception. And it's not just of the church in the United States, but actually of the United States. Other countries also have the Immaculate Conception as their patroness. If you are watching us from Brazil, South Korea, Spain, and God bless you, the Philippines, your patroness is the Immaculate Conception. Wow. You know the Mississippi River? Nobody knows this. The Mississippi River, our biggest river here in the United States, was the river of the Immaculate Conception. We don't know this stuff. The largest Marian shrine in the United States is dedicated to the Immaculate Conception. The Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. It's where I used to live. I used to I went to seminary down there. That's where I would go. The first public mass for the National Shrine was celebrated on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, even though the church wasn't finished yet, guess what year? 1917. Fatima. Unbelievable how this all comes together. You know, I want to give you a gift. If Brother Mark can show the slide, you can get a free download for your computer or your cell phone of that beautiful image of the Immaculate Conception. Have her with you. Have her protecting you. If you go to marian.org, M-A-R-I-A-N.org slash Saturday, you can download it. You can download it on your PC or your phone. And so this is my gift to you. Carry Mary with you always. This is amazing stuff. And you know, be part of our Marian family if you aren't already. God bless so many of you already have, but if Brother Mark can show the next slide, visit us at micprayers.org because these prayers of our Marian fathers, our masses, our rosaries, our chaplets, our prayers, if you become a Marian helper and there's no cost, I don't care if you donate. I mean, if God puts on your heart to help our ministry and donate, God bless you. We can't survive without that. But I'm not here for that. I'm here to, to bring souls to Jesus. Become a Marian helper. It doesn't cost anything. It takes 10 seconds to sign up. Visit micprayers.org. And by decree of the Holy See, you can share in all our graces of our rosaries, prayers, masses, penances, just like you were a Marian priest. It's amazing. And then finally, if you want to see my talks on Mary, we still have our DVD, the first original 13 talks on shopmercy.org or call 800-462-7426. And if Brother Mark can quick show, I have a book all about Divine Mercy on the next slide. You can get it at that same location. Or if you want to know more about our faith and where God's mercy is seen, get our final book after suicide, even though it's not just about suicide, it's really about any kind of suffering or loss. If you've experienced, this book will help you tremendously. So we invite you to be part of our Marian family. And it's with excitement that we are going to now also be presenting to you the movie Purgatory. I don't have the slide for it yet, but the movie Purgatory will be coming in just a couple days. 
uh, live streaming. You can get it. You can give it to friends for Christmas. And we're going to show you how to do that. We'll get the link set up and you can give it to people for Christmas. It's a beautiful gift. Only $9.95 to get that movie Purgatory live streaming. And we'll have the DVD shortly as well for $14.95. Just a donation. But God bless all of you. Share this message. Be living your faith. And there's no greater part than the Blessed Mother bringing us to Jesus. So until next week, may Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.